Hey, I'm Megan Copeland. And I'm Kendra Bartlett, and this is the His Beloved of Texas podcast. So we're two moms that live across the street from each other. Together, we have 10 kids, and we love our Catholic faith. We lead a women's group in Austin, Texas called His Beloved of Texas, where our goal is just to bring women to sit at the feet of Jesus. This podcast was born out of the pandemic. We were stuck at home and still wanted to minister, and so we decided to start sharing stories of how God has worked in our lives and in the lives of our friends. And here we are today, season three. Three. And our hope for this podcast is that you hear stories of joy, stories of heartache, but through all of it, you see Jesus and you know that there's hope. There's hope for us because God is walking every step of the way. We laugh, we cry, we say some crazy things. What is the thing you want to tell us, Kendra? Oh, I really enjoy folding fitted sheets. (laughs) And I think that's crazy. (laughs) We're so glad you're here. Join us. Hey guys, welcome back to the His Beloved Podcast. I'm Megan, and we have a fun episode today. We have Ryan Pollock on the show, and he works at St. Teresa's Catholic Church in Austin. He used to be an Episcopal priest. How cool is that? Ryan went to seminary for three years to become a priest in the Episcopal Church. And then before long, the Lord started to stir his heart and draw him towards the Catholic faith. And he chose to leave his position as a priest of a church in Dallas and begin RCIA while he was still working there. Can you imagine? which meant he had to leave his entire livelihood, everything he had worked towards because he had found the truth. And I don't know about you guys, but I love to hear conversion stories in general, but my favorites are from pastors and priests of other denominations who start looking for Jesus and they start searching through church history. And before long, they find themselves in the Catholic church because there's truth there. And he is very entertaining, incredibly brilliant, and but easy to understand. Like he brings down this really heavy information to a place where we can understand, talks about church history and his love for liturgy. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Ryan holds a master's in divinity and is actually working towards a doctorate in bioethics. Isn't that cool? Maybe we'll have to have him on later to talk about bioethics. All right, guys, I hope you enjoy. Hey, y'all. Oh, that's different. Good job. Hi, Megan. (laughs) Was it much different? Yeah. But it was a little different. We decided we say the same thing every time. Every single time. And if we're going to say the same thing every time, it should be better than what it is we say. I know. (laughs) We'll work on that. Hi, Kendra. Hi, Megan. How are y'all? So we are continuing our taking our podcast on the road. (laughs) And we are today at St. Teresa's Catholic Church, but we are not with a priest. Well, you will hear more about that dun, in a minute. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> we are here with Ryan Pollock. And Ryan, what are you at St. Teresa's? What is my title? Uh, I, I think I, officially I am the director of parish life and senior ministry. So senior ministry is straightforward enough. And parish senior, life. Senior like elder, older people? Yeah, fo- folks who are um, blessed with many years. Right? <laughs> and that's cute. Um, oh, that's f- folks who are full of years, as, as uh, Genesis Seth. And. Um, <laughs> Parish life is just Father Larry's laundry list of projects that he needs accomplished. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's fun. So That's I great. met Ryan a couple of weeks ago at um, Family Fiat at our church, and which was such a fun morning. It was like this beautiful mor- morning of uh, worship and devotion. It was so fun. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, we had a little family you know, get-together, potluck. potluck kind of thing. And my husband was sitting down talking to a group of people, and I was milling about doing things. And I happened to walk by, and I heard Ryan say, yeah, I work at St. Teresa's. I'm the parish life. I just already forgot what it was. What is your title again? Director? Coordinator? Director of Parish Life and Senior Ministry. That thing. And he said, and I used to be an Episcopalian priest. Right, Is that sure. right? Right, sure. And I was like, excuse me, what? <laughs> I literally was like walking by the table. I came back and I like, I think I like put my hand down in the middle of the table and was like eye to eye with him and said, I need you to say that again. It's, it's, the, it's the fastest I've ever been invited to a podcast. Right, which I know. Is, which, was, which, was, which was fun. Well, it was a whole table full of people and I wanted to just sit down and hear his entire story. And I was like, I can't derail this entire conversation. So sure, can you just sure. come on the podcast and tell me? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. We were actually planning on going to the whole event 
but we only made it to breakfast because oh. my wife impaled her foot no. on, on an earring that morning. <gasps> and so um, Judith, our two-year-old, was playing with earrings and left one on oh. the floor and mama stepped on it and oh, uh, no. that's how it goes. So she's no longer idea. allowed to play with earrings. Yes, yes. Um, that's, that's the lesson that we learned from yes. that episode. <laughs> but we, we made it there right in time. Yeah. Uh, all was well. So you want to tell us a little bit about your family? and? Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, Jess and I, my, my wife, have been um, married for 10 years and we have two kids, Judith, who is two, and Graham, who is uh, just now four months so we have a, a blast and a half. Together. And she was so sweet too. I had no idea she'd been impaled by an earring that morning. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> you Poor may thing. have seen her walking a little bit more slowly. Yeah. <laughs> Bless her heart. So well, we thought we needed to hear your story because sure. it's, I'm always a fan of conversion stories, me no too. matter what they are, but there's something just amazing to me. Anytime someone is in a place of ministry, especially, you know, um, pastorally like that. Yeah. It's a livelihood. It's everything, you know, worked so hard to this position. And then to walk away from that because of a call of the Catholic church just blows my mind. Hmm. So I'm assuming you have something like that, that I would love to hear at some point. Yeah. 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 So, but first Kendra's got questions. First, I have questions. Are you ready? (laughs) I I think I am. I think I'm ready. Okay. So first of all, let's just say, you have an incredible beard. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you thank do. You. My husband it's very, is... It's uh, GMO-free, um, all organic, um, <laughs> free range. Yeah, what can very I say? well manicured. Yep. Right. So um, my husband also has a beard. And, you know, he kind of takes good care of it. But I know that people are... Some men are like high maintenance when it comes to their beard. What is a tip that you can give... <laughs> <laughs> we mostly have female listeners, right. but I mean, we might I'm not sure he's going to use but, this, you know, but this might be for just me to go home and tell my husband. Yes. Um, <laughs> but beard care 101, ready, set, go. Oh man. Okay. Uh, so every once in a while, some moisturizer would help. Okay. Um, combing has to be with a wide tooth comb, like the widest ones you can. Really? You can get, and then just don't think about it too much. <laughs> Let it go. Okay, what do you mean by moisturizer? Yeah, like, is that like you, face cream? You you can use a conditioner. You okay. can use an oil. Um, there's actually uh, from De- from Dallas. There's a group of fellows. Yeah. I assume it's fellows who do the uh-huh. Catholic beard bombs. Yes. So they smell yes. like different incense, it's like chrism oil. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah. So that's super cool. Uh, my so- husband had one. And I kissed him, and then I forever smelled it underneath my nose. That's perfect. <laughs> That's <laughs> wonderful. You're like a baby's baptism, like the yeah. head right under your nose. You, you have to get, you have to get, be really thoughtful about eating um, ribs or like chicken wings or, yeah. or anything like that. You have to be a little That's careful true. there. But um, yeah, those are my okay. those are my hot beard tips. I have think. you seen the little um, Christmas jingle bells that you can put in the bottom of your beard no. and like decorate your beard like Christmas tree? <laughs> that could be I fun. Those That's amazing. Like, Is it long enough? On? I don't know. They just, just hang and dangle there. I don't know. Interesting. I think they're they're hooks like on a tree. During That's uh, not right. during seminary, uh, I didn't uh, shave the entire time or, or trim the entire time. So How I, long is seminary? Uh, it depends, but most of the time, uh, a little over three years. So for three years. So it was just wow. like wow. I looked like, wow. I looked like Moses. I did trim my mustache. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, for um, eating purposes. I was just saying, lift up the. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Little water filter that you right. had built in there, but um, wow. Yeah, that was a that was a great time. But my uh, when our our daughter was born, she was pulling on it all the time. Oh, and so we're like, yeah, yeah, that's get, not that, gonna get that, get that. Yeah, you know, you know those those iron grips that yes. babies yes. have. And, yes. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. So with the beard, whether you realize this or not, you have this look of rugged adventure. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, are so, you adventurous? Yeah, that's a good question. That wasn't my question. Oh, but are, okay. you, are you adventurous? I think so. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. if you could go anywhere, do anything without any constraints, money, you're super physically fit, which you look fit, what would you do? One tries. What would be your like ideal adventure? Oh man. Well, I have a friend who uh, is about to walk the Camino. Oh, um, yes. He's been he's been telling me about that for a long time. Mm-hmm. He actually got derailed due to uh, the virus, and so he mm-hmm. the, they were not accepting um, American folks for a little while. But I think now he's about to go do it, and wow. he's really talked it up. And it sounds like a is he doing the like whole a, thing? Um, I, I, maybe I think so. Wow. I think he's doing wow. most of it. Um, so something like that would be. Super fun, but uh, yeah, we're we're outdoorsy. We like yeah. hiking and 
backpacking and that sort of thing. Yeah, that sort of cool. thing. Um, the, uh, the Wachita Mountain Loop in Arkansas is probably the most fun and strenuous yeah. backpacking trip that I've done yeah. around here. Yeah. So it's about a couple hours north of Dallas. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, it's about 30 miles. So if you do 10 miles a day, that's about the fastest that you can, that you would want to do it. Yeah. Um, wow. And that's, I mean, that's like walking all that's day, eat food and fall asleep sort right. of. Yeah. But, but that's a good trip where you would want to, uh, Stretch it out a little more. Wow. Yeah. yeah. We have neat. a friend, Esther, who goes on walking pilgrimages and she went all over France. Mm-hmm. She did like one half of France one summer and then like another huge trip the next summer. Mm-hmm. And um, it was all through the places where Mary has appeared oh, in yeah. France. And did you yeah. know that if you were to map the dots on the map of France, it makes an M mm. over the country of France. I did not know that. Isn't that amazing? That's so lovely. they had one group starting on one side of the lower part of the M and another group and they pilgrimage they did their pilgrimage and they met in the middle. Isn't that awesome? With the Statue of Mary through the little towns and cities of France. And so they actually cool. went during COVID, which is crazy. Yeah. But um, so she's inspired us to do some walking pilgrimages. They're really cool. We, we went through one, uh, went to one in Cornhill recently, mm-hmm. but I'm not bold enough to do like 30 miles and all the things. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot. Yeah. That's cool. Someday. I would love to do the Camino someday. someday. Okay. Okay. What else you got? Okay. Next question. I don't know where this came from, but it all happened while we were, you know, setting up. So if everybody had a four, a, a, a tattoo on their forehead, like everybody. What would yours be? <laughs> You're one, so random. One, one in invisible ink, I guess. I don't want a tattoo on Does my head. Does it have to describe who he is? It's like his... Well, I mean, it's what a, everyone would see. So it's not like yes. you a, a, a tattoo you can cover up. So it's one. what would you want everybody to see? It could be either reflective of you or... <laughs> I don't know. Oh, man. I, you know, I've actually had uh, a couple of tattoos removed. Um, oh, really? So, yeah. So that's an interesting, interesting. interesting qu- I, I'm a strange person to ask that question. But wow. uh, let's see. Um, I don't Maybe maybe the Cairo, um, the little Greek <laughs> P and, uh-huh. the, and, and the X. A um, nice Catholic symbol around yeah, the forehead. Yeah, yeah, or like yeah. Like the, the Vatican flag or something. I don't know. <laughs> I have, to, have to come back to me on that one. What would you um, have, Kendra? Awesome. I have no idea. <laughs> If you're going to ask these questions, you need to have answers to them. I, I don't know. Can you get like some kickbacks from branding or something like that? Like, yeah. Would, would Whataburger help you out if you Someone put Someone did that. Yeah. Someone sold their forehead on eBay. What? I am not joking. And they, uh, some business like took up real estate on, and he has a tattoo. Was it a famous person? Prom- like, no. Why would they no. want his forehead? But promoting... Their, their business, their company. So a friend and I in college emailed Bluebell and we said, hey, Bluebell, if dear, dearest Bluebell, <laughs> dearest. if if we get a tattoo of the little girl in silhouette <laughs> leading the cow, like, can we get a discount on ice cream? And they just said, no, they're like, that would never happen. So we're like, we're not getting the tattoo then. That was your, <laughs> that was your one shot <laughs> to fix your marketing campaign. Because <laughs> Bluebell needs help. They're struggling. No. Well, we back then they were night. doing. They, back then they had the like the listeria. Oh, they were struggling or whatever. Yeah. And so we were like, aha, you know, we will we'll, yes. we'll help them out. Yeah, we yeah. are the but answer did, to your problems. It didn't work. <laughs> That's so funny. That's okay. hysterical. Last question, and this one isn't as weird as the others. Um, you're fairly new father, two year old and a three month old. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your favorite <laughs> part of fatherhood? Um, uh, self unself conscious fun. I guess, yeah. you know, like yeah. a, a, with, with um, when we're playing with them, we can just step out of our mm. minds and, and um, I don't know, it's, it's it, we're just doing something primal. Like we're, we're just like on the floor playing with dolls and you're not thinking about it and mm-hmm. you know, you're, it, whatever happens, happens. And for me, I can be sort of trapped in my, are y'all into Enneagram stuff? Does that, mm-hmm. is that, yeah. yeah. So I'm like a five and then, so I'm always in my head and I'm always yeah, thinking thinker. and analyzing and investigating, and that's just unselfconscious fun, I guess. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. A good just answer. playing with them. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Kendra's actually that's been fun. talking about that a lot lately. We mentioned it on a podcast one time. She tries to yeah. do that with her middle schoolers at um, our school. She's a PE teacher uh-huh. because middle schoolers are not good at unselfconscious fun. Yeah, <laughs> and so right. she invites them into that, and then they have a blast. It's right. like yeah. reminding them of what it's like to have childlike fun and uh-huh. wonder. Yeah. And just just we forget yourself that. for a little. Well, and sports are great for that too, right? right. Um, at least. They've always, and like at the gym, um, 
I'm uh, I'm not thinking about anything. I'm just in pain the whole time. You know? <laughs> but, but like if for a sport or something like that, you can really just let go of your yourself and if you're good at sports, otherwise it's yeah. very self-conscious for those yeah, of us who true. are not <laughs> constantly feeling like everyone's watching. That's true. Right, that's true. right, right. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you. you. You did great. You did cool. fantastic. You cool. That was the opening gauntlet. That was yes. the you, you survived the good. gauntlet. Okay. So I would, I have so many questions, but I'm just going to let you go and well, tell your story. And then I'm going to ask all the questions. If you well, don't answer. It, it actually might help me if you, if you guided me a little bit. Okay. That, cause otherwise so, I might ramble, you know, that's okay. We got time. So I, I think part of the, what drew me to the story was seeing you with your wife mm-hmm. and just this adorable, sweet family. And she was so kind. And I guess I would like to know how, how this all came about, where you, you know, first started to feel like the kind of, you know, pull on your heart towards the Catholic church. Well, can we back up? Yeah. I would love to hear you pull on your heart to become an Episcopalian. Priest yeah. Too. Yeah. Okay. okay. Right on. Just, We're yeah. going way back. So yeah. I, I grew up uh, a nominally Baptist in a okay. family mm-hmm. of lapsed Catholics. So on my oh. dad's side, nobody was terribly religious, okay. but on my mom's side, everybody was kind of culturally Catholic or Catholic by default, you might mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. But they were really taken in by um, a certain Baptist preacher who had a very Billy Graham revivalist style to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, Wesley's words, right? They felt their hearts were strangely warmed and they wanted to follow this this fellow wherever mm-hmm. he went. So they did. But at the same time, we didn't like culturally assimilate well into the Baptist thing. Mm-hmm. So we just like... We drank alcohol, you know, mm. and like we played cards and uh, <laughs> I don't know, they did those crazy things that, that like we didn't think, we thought you could dance. We thought dancing was a good thing. Yeah. So we didn't fit in well with the Baptist culturally. Uh, but I always felt from a very young age, a sort of call to something in the church, like something ministerial. I didn't want to be a Baptist pastor. That just seemed like... Uh, I couldn't, <laughs> I could never imagine myself getting into the revivalist spirit of the thing, smacking the pulpit and jumping up and down. <laughs> I'm just not that exciting. So, <laughs> not that, exciting. Uh, um, that was, uh, so that for whatever reason never appealed to me, but my wife, um, grew up in non-denominational circles and in Romanian Pentecostal circles. Her, wow. her parents moved Romanian. here from, um, Romania in the seventies and, and got together. So, uh, but as a result, neither of us, by the time we met, were really attached to either of our traditions. Mm-hmm. And so we were just looking around for churches to go to, and there was an Episcopal church right near where we lived. And so we um, just started visiting there and fell in love with it at, almost at first sight. Yeah. Wow. And we, we felt this is a place where we don't know what the middle of um, kind of Baptist and kind of Romanian Pentecostal is, but maybe it's the Episcopal <laughs> church. You know? Maybe that's where we'll meet in the middle. That's Was funny. there something in particular that that drew you in specifically or just the whole, uh, the, the beauty of the liturgy really Mm -hmm. was, you know, and so far as beauty Mm -hmm. is one of the transcendentals, right? So, um, Baptist services, I don't know if y'all have gone Mm -hmm. to, I mean, so it's, it's the, it's the hymn sandwich liturgy. It's two or three hymns and a long sermon and two or three hymns with almost no, uh, attention paid to like the ceremonial of of the thing. Right. So just to see objects, um, sacramental objects treated with reverence and this sort of magisterial choir and beautiful chapel and all these things. Uh, that was a huge inroad for it. We had never experienced anything like that, you know, mm-hmm. so, um, just incredibly compelling. Uh, you wouldn't know, um, I, there's a lot of people that go to this church in particular and just like think it's a Catholic church. If they aren't, and if they aren't paying attention, they, they might mm-hmm. come to mm-hmm. that conclusion. You see how that could happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because I have some friends, um, who have, a church in Dallas that you would not know it was a church if you walked in. Like, it's just, it's, it looks, they have big concerts there and it's Can very, you say the name? I might know it. Um, Life in Deep Ellum. I know the one. I've been there before. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. funny. I, mm-hmm. It's actually a huge part of my faith journey is that church because I really experienced the Holy Spirit there in a very, very beautiful way. I've and never worshiped there. I've just been in the building. You've been in the building. Yeah, it, yeah. They have a beautiful faith, beautiful faith. Um, but one thing I think is really interesting about it is they continue to come back to the liturgy and mm-hmm. they keep adding back in some of this beauty of the, of the old liturgy because it's, like you said, it's transcendental. It calls us, it, it calls, there's something special about okay. it. And, yeah. and it's, I think for a lot of people who've grown up without the liturgy, it's like, there's a longing in their heart for that. Do y'all remember the emergent church movement mm-hmm. like in yeah. the early 2000s like Brian McLaren and Donald Miller and all these no. characters well they were just they were like po- they were like post evangelical guys uh-huh. who were just like okay. okay what if we just like met in a warehouse 
and put candles near the pulpit. You yeah. Know? Like, and there's this ancient thing called the Nicene Creed. And what if sometimes we talked about that? You yeah. Know? Um, so you, you see them like trying to grasp for, for some sort of rootedness mm-hmm. yeah. in Christian history. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was certainly wow. us in a way. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and it's, it's been really fun to watch because there is something really beautiful and holy about it, you mm-hmm. know, but, um, but I can see how that would be something that would draw you in if you've never had that experience mm-hmm. before. For me, I was kind of the opposite. I walked into a Catholic church and didn't understand all of the, mm-hmm. the beauty that mm-hmm. was there. So yeah. I guess you can come at it from both angles. Okay. Well, we, we didn't understand it. We just knew that, uh, it, it really moved us and we right. wanted, we wanted more right. of it. You wanted right. more of it. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So what was the jump from attending to... Becoming a Episcopalian priest. Uh, well, I felt like my so I have a undergrad in, in biblical studies. I have a BA and BS, um, Bachelor <laughs> of the Arts in Biblical Studies. That's and, funny. Uh, I was looking for something to do with that, and a lot of people were telling me this degree is cool, but like, what are you going to do when this is all over? And so for me, it felt like that degree finally had a telos. I had a place to go in the Episcopal Church, and uh, they were really interested in me and interested in my education and thought I had some good gifts to bring. And so I said, well, this, I think this makes sense. You know, like I got into this degree, not knowing what I wanted to do with it. And it seems like this is the the Lord's taking us somewhere with Mm -hmm. this, right? Yeah. So then did you go to seminary after that or was that degree enough? Yeah. uh, Yeah. So uh, you, you go to seminary after that, the bishop sends you and um, they tend to like to send to their alma maters. And so we went to a little seminary called Neshota in Wisconsin. Uh, Since, since 1842, they've, they've been in business. Uh, (laughs) They've been, they're older than the state of Wisconsin, so they don't pay property taxes, which is wow. kind of which is kind of funny. But it's uh, it, it's a lot like where we are here, actually, in in Northwest Hills. It's uh, it's like Lake Country, and it's kind of remote. Milwaukee's about thirty minutes away, mm-hmm. and uh, you just go to chapel every day. So it's it's like so you go to morning prayer, and then the Eucharist, and then lunch, and then all of your classes, and then like even song every day. So you spend about two hours a day in the chapel um, next to this lake surrounded by uh, flocks of turkey and deer. And um, wow. it's just, it's, it's, it's like a Christian Hogwarts, I think, because if I can <laughs> describe it anyway. It feels like something just dropped out of a magical medieval place into yeah. the woods in Wisconsin. And you were already married at this point. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. went together. Wow. That's interesting. Wow. Yeah. So then after seminary, you... After seminary, uh, they, they give you a job, which is really nice. You don't have to send your resume out to a bunch of places. They just yeah. say, you're going here. And so we went to uh, to our first assignment in Dallas and just had a beautiful time. Um, you know, you're, a, you're, a, you're a Dallasite. I am. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we were in St. Matthew's Cathedral in Old East, yeah. uh, which is like right by Lower Greenville, uh-huh. um, right at the, the base of that thing. That's a fun place to be. So it was, it was fun. So that was really near where I went to college. And so I had a lot of friends in the neighborhood still, and, uh, we had a lovely, lovely time ministering there. Were any um, of them, uh, surprised? Your friends uh, from college? Yeah. Uh, well, they college. already knew cause they had okay. known, they, they knew like three or four years ago that I was being shipped off to, to do this thing. True. Um, I bet some of them were surprised when I came yeah. back and it worked. You know? <laughs> 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 we, we actually did go set off to do this thing and it happened. Um, yeah. But but it was great to be back in a fun and familiar place with all of yeah. our old buddies there. Yeah. So that was. So how many years were you at that cathedral? Uh, th- three. Okay. Yeah. And what was your experience of? Um, it was it, it, the the position fit me like a glove. Um, yeah. I, have you ever have you ever just worked a job or? done a project that made you think I was born to do this very mm. thing. You know, like it doesn't even seem like work most of the time. You're just like, I've been, I'm doing the thing that God put me on the earth to do. And, uh, so work doesn't feel like work. You just yeah. feel like you're having fun all the time. Most yeah. of the time, like you'll have days where some silly parishioner will do something dumb or say something, and get under <laughs> your skin. But most of the time, like you can just brush that off very easily and, yeah. and have a great time with it. Uh, so, you know, marrying and bearing and preaching and teaching and all of the great parts of, of priestly yeah. ministry. Yeah. yeah. That's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. So then what happened after that? You started to have some questions or what? <laughs> started to have Romish thoughts, thoughts, Romish of, thoughts. thoughts, of, <laughs> thoughts of Romishness. So, uh, I have to talk a little bit here about the history of Anglicanism to kind yes, of make please. sense. So, so there's a couple of different streams, just like in the Catholic church, there's different streams, there's different little mm-hmm. sects and schools of thought. So in the Episcopal Church, broadly, you can think about liberals and you can think about evangelicals and you can think about like high church or Anglo-Catholics. So we were in that third branch. And these were the ones that kind of grew out of the Oxford movement in 1830s 
England where there was a need to recover. The state was making some moves that the church didn't agree with. And of course, it was a state church. It's still a state mm-hmm, church. Mm-hmm. So uh, a group of Oxford scholars got together and said, what if we just republish the um, early church fathers? And what if we wrote all these tracts? And what if we taught people that authority in the church doesn't come from the state? It comes from Jesus and apostolic succession and everything like that. Wow. So it was a recovery of all this cool Catholic stuff. So all of a sudden you have like candles appearing on the altar and priests wearing um, vestments and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, incense and things that had been practices that had been outlawed since the English Reformation start to creep up in England during this time. I didn't know those had ever been outlawed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I mean, like priests could get arrested for putting candles on the altar. Really? Wow. Because, the, because this would lead one to, and in, so like in 1552, uh, the the fractions and the uh-huh. elevations are outlawed mm-hmm. in the mass. Why? Because this might lead one to think that Jesus is really present in, in the wow. sacrament. The elevation of Jesus right, in the right. Eucharist is outlawed. And like you can't yeah. sing the on you stay because this is not, whatever this cracker is, it's not the Lamb of God who comes to take yeah. away the sins of the world. So little things like that um, start to be recovered in the 1800s in England. So we were part of that Anglican stream. Now, John Henry Newman, of course, is one of the uh-huh. big catalyzing forces in all of this. He eventually comes to realize that he's made himself the Pope. Like, he himself has sort of decided which theologies should and shouldn't, and which practices should and shouldn't be part of the Church of England. Mm-hmm. Also, they they sort of, they think he's they think he's just too Catholic, right? They're like, you got to... Pal, this is not it. Like the the interpretations of your interpretations of what our church is is unrecognizable. It's just it's yeah. not going to work. Um, so he has uh, he he converts right in the middle of his life in 1845. He was yeah. 1801 to 1890. So he converts right in the middle, and he goes in and he takes folks with him. And um, so anyway, I was making a lot of St. John Henry Newman's moves, and I was thinking a lot of his thoughts without ever really paying attention to wow. who he was. Right. Wow. Uh, I I knew of him vaguely as a famous Anglican to Catholic convert, but I thought that was 150 years ago. Anglicans, surely they've come up with some answers and some solutions to the problems that he raised, and it turns out that they didn't. Um, So uh, had I really studied his life earlier, my life might have looked markedly different. But who, <laughs> you know, who knows? So we were coming to a lot of his same conclusions and we, we were realizing that our interpretation, our understanding of Anglicanism as a branch of the One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church had been debunked like wow. over a hundred years ago um, when Pope Leo XIII said that Anglican orders were utterly null and totally void. Ooh. And so um, like not mincing any words there. Uh, wow. So um Anglicans responded, and then um, the Pope responded back, or uh, the, I think it was the Bishop of York responded back and said, "Look, look, look, fellows, if if the Pope is not capable of deciding this question of who has valid sacramental orders, then who is? And if no one is, then what a sorry state Christ has left His Church in." Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just sort of devastating. I was like, I can't answer that at all. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I think that it was at that point that we knew that we had to enter the Catholic Church. So is this you and your wife along the same journey? Like y'all's timelines mm-hmm. pretty much lined up? She she always knew that I had these inclinations, but for her it was more changes that Anglicans had made in their like liturgical and sacramental practice. Mm-hmm. So um, that they, uh, and this goes back before our time, but first they... And they kind of implicitly improve of divorce and then contraception mm-hmm. and then women's ordination and then gay marriage. And then they have a right for changing your gender and things like that. So, so at every point where right. the culture says, can we do this? Anglicans they have just yes. said, sure, like, yeah. let's give it a shot. And uh, our position, like, so we, our answers to all of those questions were Catholic answers. Yeah. Um, but the, the net was sort of tightening around folks who were like, so bishops in the Episcopal Church now are no longer able to prevent um, anybody from getting married in any of their parishes because the, mm-hmm. the church at large has decided the question for them. Mm-hmm. So we're just like, how? I mean, we're, we're wearing this sort of Catholic mask in the Episcopal Church, and it's just not tenable. Like, eventually mm-hmm. they're going to, you know, take those freedoms away from us. So maybe wow. now is the time to, to right. peace out here. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. So that's more on moral issues and teachings of the church. Was That was parts, her, I think that, that was, was that was her inclination. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And my thought was, well... Um, I had a great boss at the time who was just like, I'm just going to keep preaching the Catholic faith until they kick us out, you know? And I was like, I was like, that's great, but you're near retirement. You know what I mean? Like, um, that you can do that reasonably. How old were you at this point? Um, I was, uh, let's see. 
When 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 my mind was made up, I was 29. I was going to say because you were young uh, now, yeah. so you were not young. Yeah. I'm 32 now. Wow. Um, okay. So um, yeah, 29. My my mind's pretty much made up wow. in that direction, and so uh, mandatory retirement is 72. I was like, this is not, it's not going <laughs> to work guys. I'm not going to, I can't yeah. just coast until I get yeah. my pension here and then, and then try and work this out. Interesting. Um, so your boss, um, did he convert? Um, he grew up Methodist and he became sure. Anglican at, at some point in his, in his life. But he yeah. continued to be Anglican. Yeah, he still is. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and he's very, he's um, really great, a great leader. Um, very sweet charm. He, he reminds me a lot of like, um, Stephen Colbert, just sort of in his <laughs> in his stage presence and affect, like he's a really affable guy. Uh, but eventually, they are going to come for him, you know. Mm. So I just don't know, like how yeah. he's. I'm not sure how he thinks about that. But, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so I have a couple more questions just about the Anglican or Episcopal side of things. Mm-hmm. So, are those two words interchangeable? Kind of sometimes. Are those different? So after after um, the divisions. After, yeah. So after the American Revolution, members of the Church of England who lived in America took to calling themselves Episcopalians okay. because you didn't want to be seen as in bed with the Church of England. Like okay. English right. folks were not not cool to be friends that with. That makes right? sense. Okay. So, but Episcopalian just means like the church that has bishops. So we were the Protestant church in America that had bishops. Um, Oh, and after okay. the Church of England tries to move away from a little bit of, of its colonial legacy, you don't have parishes in Kenya being called the Church of England in Kenya because that looks colonial and weird, right? right. Um, so disestablishment happens, and um, but now even more confusingly, there are people who broke away from the Episcopal Church thinking it too progressive on certain mm-hmm. theological issues who are calling themselves Anglicans. So they're, That's what so I'm they're Anglicans here okay. who yes. aren't actually members of the global Anglican Church. Um, or the Episcopal Church here, so it's. Uh, I mean, that's confusing. It's very I mean, confusing. That's what I thought is the ones who were Anglican were more closely related to the Catholic Church than Episcopal. No, they're yeah. just okay. ones who got who got fed up with this or that, and they just call and, them. And they're more conservative in their nature, and they, they call are. Themselves they are. But okay. even though they're more conservative, they're not a part of the Anglican Communion. The they're global, not in the, global the church, wow. so they're just total. No, they're totally on their so own. So, yeah. which group is it? that the Pope, I don't remember which Pope, said they could be brought into the church pretty easily. And, yeah, and even the priests as yeah. priests in the Catholic Church. Yeah, so in 2009, uh, Benedict Sixteenth writes Anglicanorum Chetibus, which just means groups of Anglicans, because he's, <laughs> he says, groups of Anglicans are coming to me asking to be received corporately, corporate reunions at the church. So not just individuals converting, but entire parishes <laughs> coming in. And, 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 and so... Um, they said, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. We'll make it happen. So the Ordinariate is a collection of non-geographical things that are kind of like dioceses. dioceses. Um, <laughs> so like the one for, for our neck of the woods stretches from uh, South Texas to all the way to, to Canada, you know. Well, um, so there's one bishop over the Ordinariate. It's about, I think it's about 47 parishes. Um, that came over wholesale, and then new ones that started to be created. Forty-seven for the, parishes for the U.S. And, and and so that's a small diocese in the Catholic Church, um, mm-hmm. but it's a huge diocese when it's spread across all of America and Canada. Uh-huh. So there's ones in the U.S. and Canada, one in Australia, and one in the U.K. and hopefully more coming soon. And there's wow. one in Houston. Uh, right. Yeah, the closest one to us is in San Antonio, San Antonio? Our Lady of the Atonement. There, yeah, okay. yeah, which is which is a really cool place. My parents yeah. have spoken about it. They live down there in San Antonio. They've yeah, yeah, yeah. Lifelong Catholics tend to look at it as if it's like the Mass in Shakespeare, like the Shakespeare, <laughs> which, like, that's a fine comparison. That makes a lot of sense why they would say that. Yeah. Um, but the ordinary is a form of the Roman rite. So um, y'all are at St. Albert's. I am, yes. So, so yeah. St. Albert's uses the ordinary form of the Roman rite, uh-huh. and the ordinary is another form of the Roman rite. So okay. you'll recognize a lot of the prayers, but... Um, you know, the priest will say, the Lord will, the Lord be with you. And the people will say, and with thy spirit, uh, <laughs> that, yeah. that kind of thing. So it, it sounds a lot like the King James Bible and the prayers and things. Uh-huh. Like that. Interesting. Okay. So were there parts of the liturgy or the, um, belief in the Eucharist, things like that, that were kind of made you want to walk away from the church or draw closer to the Catholic church? Were there things about that too, or? Was it, what was it for you? I guess is my question about the Eucharist. There, yeah. So, um, 
the, the, the Anglicans have tend to, tended to, and they don't have any official dogma on this, but they've always tended to say that Jesus is in some sense present in the Eucharist. We don't know how, and we're not mm-hmm. going to try and define it metaphysically. Like transubstantiation, we don't like that. It's too Aristotelian, what have you. Mm-hmm. So um, they're just kind of agnostic about if or when it happens, and if or when depends on which party that you're, hmm. that you're wow. talking to there. But we were always on the more Catholic-leaning end of things. Mm-hmm. So right. we were always like, yeah, Jesus is totally present in the Eucharist. Um, now, can you receive him in a state of mortal sin? Can you um, receive him if you're divorced and remarried? Can you, um, if, if we drop him on the floor, what's the proper procedure for picking him? Like, so mm-hmm. all of these questions that I think there should be answers to, there right. just aren't any answers to, or um, they're ones that are sort of tribal. Uh, well, this parish does it this way, and this uh-huh. parish does it that way, and that sort of thing. But there's not just like an across-the-board reverence for the Lord and the Eucharist in that way, because you have because you have it, you have everybody who would pray, and within Anglicanism, you have people who would practice benediction, and then you have mm. people who are just like, eh, it's just bread. Who cares? You know, wow, so yeah. I mean, there's really that much breadth to the to the thing. Interesting. And both of those have plenty of historical precedent. It's not like one was just made up out of thin air. Those mm-hmm. two views have always kind of been intertwined together in the thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So, did you have the ability or the the option to come in as a priest into the Catholic Church? Um, I still do. You yeah, still do. I still do. So, um, there wasn't any uh, ordinary. Well. So I guess about the closest one to us in Dallas was about an hour away, and we just couldn't sneak away and do RCIA there like an hour away on a weeknight. You know, right. that just wasn't going to work. So we just went to the one that was closest to okay. us. And uh, so I was I was secretly in RCIA for a little while. You um, were? Yeah. While you were still at the church? Yeah. And they have that time where you say, um, they say, everybody get up and tell a little bit about yourself, you know? And I'm just like, well, I'm Ryan, and I work at a church near here, and that's about all you should know about me. Um, <laughs> Don't try and Google me or anything, because uh, nobody knows that I'm here. So that was that was kind of fun. That's funny. Um, Incognito. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But then uh, the lockdowns started happening, mm-hmm. and uh, so we finished our RCIA online. And when we were eventually confirmed, we weren't allowed to bring any like friends or family or whatever. And a priest in what approximated a hazmat suit anointed <laughs> us with a Q-tip, which was which was great fun. Anointed yeah. you with a Q-tip. It was a very homemade like PPE kit, you know, that he had, but That's uh hysterical. That was fun. So you came into the church during the lockdown. Yeah, it was a weird, very weird time. That's yeah. amazing. But we were yeah, we is. were also we were displaced because we had just left my um my job, I mean my, our tradition and our right. workplace or whatever. And then everything got locked down, so you couldn't really like go to church and figure things out that way. Uh but then with things started opening up and different churches had different practices about mass or no mass right. uh-huh. or uh, it, uh, reservations or no reservations or whatever. So um, we just kind of hopped around and checked out all the all the churches near us during that uh-huh. time. And we moved in with my wife's um, brother and his, and his family uh, to save rent money during that time. Yeah. Um, it was an interesting season. And you of, had a baby at this point, right? We did. Yeah. yeah. I, I picked the, the wrong there. time in world history for a career change. I'll, right? I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. A full life change. Okay. So going more into detail with that, how did your family react to this change? I was wanting to hear the same thing. Um, yeah. So... Um, my uh, my mom's side of the family, like I said, were just kind of like, huh, like we were very happy to leave the Catholic Church a long, yeah. long time ago. That's mm-hmm. a little bit weird, um, but they're all really sweet and non-confrontational, so yeah. they don't like they don't try and like get they, like they'll ask curious questions every once in a while, mm-hmm. but um, they're happy that we still love Jesus and that yeah. we. We don't uh, we don't worship Mary. This is not a thing that Catholics do. So you have to right. sort of like right. wade through that. But they're overall they're fine with it. Um, my wife's family is a little bit more hostile. They're uh, okay. they're big John MacArthurites. You know I don't know yeah. if you know John, but uh, sweet dear brother John, Pastor John in, in California. <laughs> but uh, he has a he has a really big anti-Catholic streak in his oh. ministry, and they listen to him all the time. So mo- but. Really, honestly, Catholic apologetics, most of it is just like, it's like playing whack-a-mole. You're just like, we don't believe that. And no, we don't believe that. And like, <laughs> I know, like, yes. But you do believe this. And you're like, oh, where? Like, how do you know? How do you right. know we believe that? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's been um, that's been trickier. Uh, but on the whole, on the whole, they're all open to 
conversations. So yeah, that's, that's good. That's good. Wow. Well, and I guess you weren't walking away from their lifelong faith. Cause I think that's harder sometimes too, when you're, that's the, true. if you're the pastor in the faith tradition that your whole family's in, that you grew mm-hmm. up in, yeah. that could be harder. But since you were already in a different faith tradition, maybe that was not as difficult. Oh, for them. sure. No. So the Anglican to Catholic thing was weird, but they weren't like, they yeah. were just like, well, you play with Catholic fire, you're going to get burned sort of thing. You know? <laughs> like, you're going to want to join the club eventually, I suppose. That's so, funny. Um, yeah, I guess it didn't surprise them. But Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Throughout your journey, um, just from the, the very beginning, you know, deciding to go to seminary and then, you know, becoming an uh, Episcopalian priest, were there any church, early church fathers that drew mm. you in that kind of led you Oh man. Yeah. So many favorites. Uh, you seem like see. a guy that would go back and yeah. like intellectually. He dropped dive the through all of this, like, right? like it was nothing. So I was like, well, okay, he, he knows church fathers. Yeah. Probably. Let's see. Uh, this became really important to me actually after we became Anglican, but, uh, I, I was certainly interested in it before that. Um, so, uh, St. Athanasius's theology of the incarnation is a big, mm-hmm. big, important one for mm-hmm. me. Um, so our bodies just aren't irrelevant husks, yeah. <laughs> Like we had in the Catholic church, we have a theology of the body. Right. So God creates bodies and calls them good and they don't cease to be good even after their, um, concupiscence sets in. Right. So yeah. Jesus takes his, um, resurrected, uh, glorified body into heaven and, um, it's actually NT rights, um, coinage, but now there's a human being at the helm of the world, you know? Mm. And so for, for, for somebody who just thought for so long, the message of the gospel is about how to go to heaven when you die and like just throw our bodies in the ditch because they're kind of irrelevant mm-hmm. husks for the real us that's that's hidden down deep inside. Um, to think about um, salvation in terms of, in, in sacramental terms. So God doesn't want to redeem just your mind or just your heart, but your body and your soul and your spirit and every constituent part of the whole creation. So, mm. um, I mean, that, that, that shift between a non-sacramental worldview to a sacramental one is, is huge. Uh, so wow. once you, once you start playing with that and thinking about that, I, I, it's really only a matter of time. I feel like before you start moving in a more Catholic direction. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, That's interesting. interesting. For me, it's always been the love of the Eucharist and the true, the true belief of the early church fathers of Jesus truly present in the Eucharist. Did you have any moments like that where you're like, Oh yeah. Uh, Justin Martyr, um, you know, early, mm-hmm. early second century using for a long time, what I thought was just stuff that Catholics made up in the medieval period to mm-hmm. trick illiterate lay people, you know, and he's, right. he's, he's arguing Whoa. with it. He's arguing with a Jewish guy in the, in, in the two hundreds, you know, just saying like, yeah, and we believe that's really Jesus. It's not bread and wine anymore. Yeah. Um, so of course that that throws you into a uh, what do I usually call it? And it's not an aha moment. It's it's like an oh no moment. It's the opposite <laughs> of an aha moment. You're just like, why don't I believe that? You know, yeah. What on what grounds do I stand to yeah. offer my own unique sacramental theology? So interesting. Something that was made up in the Middle East. Like it's a very, it's a very common because I mean, if you look at literacy rates in the middle ages, um, and, and a great book on this is Eamon Duffy's stripping of the altars where he talks about the reformation in England. And in a lot of ways, what was robbed from the laity in destroying Mm. all of their monasteries and their shrines and all of that Mm -hmm. stuff. But, uh, literacy, if it was very low meant that probably the only person in town who could read the newspaper was the priest. Right. And so you did, there was a lot more dependence on the priest for everything. Um, thus the story goes that they said, Jesus is really in the host and you know, Interesting, yeah, and a lot of other things that if only people had access to the Bible in a language in which they could understand, they would know that whatever X, Y, or C Catholic belief isn't correct. Um, so it's just one of those props popular Protestant myths that That's you gotta just gotta play whack-a-mole with, get it out of here. I've never heard yeah. that right. In my mind growing up as a um I'm a convert too. But I wasn't a very well formed <laughs> in any faith. So I didn't really have a lot of a lot of formation. But I had this vision that Jesus lived and then fifteen hundred years passed and we have no idea what happened in that time period. And then <laughs> The church was formed. Mm-hmm. And then somebody like found a Bible. I don't know. And yeah. then that had all the all yeah. the information. Like that was literally my thought process. Like there yeah. was nothing that happened in those 1500 years. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know where yeah. I got that message from. It was just something that we were taught to like forget about. Yeah. But really it's thoroughly interesting to go back. It is. That was a huge part for me. Um, 
in my reversion to the church was history. And mm-hmm. just, mm. That's just so black and white to me. Well, you know? Saint, Saint um, John Henry Newman, again, he has a little, he has a little saying that makes people really testy, but um, <laughs> it's to, to be uh, deep in history is to cease to be Protestant, mm-hmm. um, which, which is just like a, you know, that's Jab. a, that's a karate <laughs> chop, you know, to somebody's right to the jugular. Yeah. That's a, that's a kill shot, you know, yeah. but um he didn't mean that Protestants don't know anything about church history. That's no. not the point. What right. he meant was that a Catholic has a certain organic relationship and participation in mm. the mass of the ages and the sacraments that a Protestant just doesn't have. I mean, yeah. the guy's a scholar at Oxford. He knows that Protestants know things that happen to church history. That's not the point of the quote, right? right. But that, they, that by that knowledge for a Catholic comes a sharing in, a participation. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. You talked about this on a couple podcasts ago about listening to the um, podcast about the Church Fathers. And now I'm like, I really want to dive deeper. Yes. The Cordial Catholic is a really good one. Cordial Catholic. Okay, Albert Little, the Cordial Catholic. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I like him a lot. Um, He has a lot of people on that talk about the Church Fathers. But also, what was the one that just... Early Church Fathers, I think is what it's called. Yeah. I don't know, because I tried to like search Early Church Fathers and... They're all very boring. <laughs> Is there anybody it, it, who's more like well, it, more it, gusto? The, well, the ones that you're searching for are going to be like public domain translations. So they're old, right? They're yeah. like, you know, 17 and 1800s. Well, no, I meant the podcast of people talking about them. Oh, oh the podcast is boring. <laughs> the podcast okay, boring. okay. <laughs> the people were boring, not the church, not the fathers. Well, uh, so, so uh, an old crummy translation can make something really boring though, right? So um, like hmm. there are really great modern translations of the fathers. That, are there? That just doesn't doesn't feel like drudgery to, to get through. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you think of any off the top of your head? Yeah, because I would love um, to hear that uh, too. Uh, Holmes, I can't remember his his first name, but it's Holmes. It's a little green book called The Apostolic Fathers, and it has Greek and, and English on either side. It's about three or four hundred pages or so, but it's the patristic period. It's about like first to fifth centuries or so. Mm-hmm. But the oh. it, but the, the English is, is very readable and modern and it's okay. not, yeah, That's it's not a know. slog to, okay, I'll look that up to get and there. Show notes. But, if, right but if somebody just goes and Googles the church fathers, they're going to get most of the time some very, very Original old or, uh, translation um, that uh, it's not, not, Written with a modern person's ears and mind. Right. Opinion. A little yeah. hard to understand. So. But you know, the school that our kids go to, they really believe in reading original text. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Right. It, it's really yeah. it's really interesting. It's also complicated for them though. Sometimes yeah. it's hard for their brains to comprehend, but it's really neat to hear things in like that that original yeah. format. But I like to hear things sometimes when someone else can explain it in a way that makes more sense to me. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little pizzazz. I need too. a little pizzazz. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's cool. That's right. Okay. Well, this is so interesting. Do you have any more questions for him? Um well, I guess now, so how many years have you been in the church? Two? Three, uh, two so we came in years. August the 1st, 2020. So okay. 14 months, 15 months, something like wow. that. Wow. Yeah. Has there been anything that um, has just, I don't know, like when you experience it, it just scripts you to your knees of like Thanksgiving that the Lord has brought you here this far into the church or? Y'all, y'all are going to think this is weird. Um, <laughs> but uh, certain parts of the mass, I think that uh, lifelong Catholics probably pay no attention to at all mm-hmm. um, uh, that weren't a part of the Anglican tradition are super cool. So mm. let me try and think of one. Uh, the, uh, May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name for our good and the good of all his holy church. Uh, having a sentence like that in the Anglican rite would have cl- totally cleared up so much Eucharistic confusion. Like, is the sacrifice of the uh, is is the mass a sacrifice or not? Well, yeah. this sentence right here makes it quite clear that it yeah. is. So there's there's such a beautiful clarity to the Roman rite that clears up a ton of Anglican questions that we used to have and argue about. Um, the uh, the 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 sort of laundry list of the saints that you hear in the Roman write about um, Perpetua and mm-hmm. uh, Felicity and yeah. um, Constance and Damon Damian yeah. and Agatha mm-hmm. and Lucy and all of that um, just cool parts of the mass that we didn't used to have um, like I said that that really helped to, to clear mm-hmm. things up it, it, fe- it felt like a, a completion an answer to questions mm-hmm. that we've been asking for such a long time. Um, I find it really intriguing that the Lord put those questions on your heart and had you search for the answers to them. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I think most people don't even know that they're lacking those pieces. I mean, I surely didn't. That's not the way. Where I did converted. you come from? I converted. Well, I was Methodist, mm-hmm. but I, my conversion was completely different than yours. Mine was like full 
exposure of the Holy Spirit. And mm-hmm. then I had to like learn the church after mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. an experience with Jesus. So I didn't even know what I didn't know. You know, I wouldn't have had yeah. any clue. I didn't understand all the parts of the mass, but I just find it really interesting that he would kind of like place these things on your heart of like, come mm-hmm. on, come mm-hmm. over here. Mm-hmm. It was like, mm-hmm. like little like breadcrumbs. Yeah. <laughs> like, now I want you to investigate this. Yeah. And now I want you to investigate this. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Uh, I, that curiosity got me into a lot of trouble in some ways. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, overall it was, it was good. Uh, I, I really raise, resonate with what Flannery O'Connor talks about when she she's there's a passage somewhere where she's describing St. Paul's conversion and she mm. says uh, I reckon the Lord knew the only way to make a Christian out of that one was to knock him off his horse yeah so <laughs> that was me uh, uh, yeah yeah so <laughs> so I feel the same way like the Lord knew that to make a Catholic out of me he would have to make me an Episcopal priest first and then just yeah. like pull the rug out and say there's no rug anymore um so yeah that's so yeah. cool so earlier you said you still have the option to become a priest mm-hmm. is that something in your path ahead or yeah uh i don't know you don't know, <laughs> I don't know. would it be only in an ordinary parish or no it could be it could be, be any, it could be any, any okay, parish so thought. there's okay. pastoral provision for folks okay. who have come from other denominations and were ordained before um and then ordinary would be just doing the anglican stuff for okay. people who came in through that way um yeah. It's a giant question mark in my life. Okay. I, I don't know. Big discernment for you and your wife. Yeah. That would, yeah. Right. Hard. And to be a priest with children, that's yeah. a totally different Well, world. so in yeah. the in right. the ordinary uh, parishes, that's totally normal. Right, Like, right. and nobody mm-hmm. would think anything of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a parish like St. Teresa, people would always be sort of scratching their heads. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. is that, I mean, the culture is just totally, totally different. Well, and I know a few right. priests that have children, but I was thinking more of just like what it takes to be a priest, like mm-hmm. uh, on your mm-hmm. life and your family, like there is no option for the family time. in some ways. Yeah. The time yeah. and the commitment, the sacrifice is, is just your entire life. So that would be, that'd be an interesting dynamic. Well, so uh, I, I know a few priests in the, um, just the Novus Ordo ordinary parishes, mm-hmm. not Anglican use parishes mm-hmm. and, uh, who are married with children and people will ask them like, okay, so don't you think it's great that you are where you are and shouldn't the Catholic church as a mm-hmm. whole do this? Right. And they're all just like, no, they, they our should standards not. are high for right? what par- priests yeah. can do. <laughs> they're just like that, that should not be, yeah. this should not be normal. This should be the exception. Interesting. Um, wow. Just because, uh, a priest gets to be a, a single priest gets to be married to the church in, in right. the way that a priest with a wife and kids doesn't. Um, right. So um, that'd be difficult to navigate. That's really not the biggest question, though. The biggest question is, like, do my natural gifts and interests and proclivities constitute in and of themselves a calling? And I don't know if they do. Like, I like doing priestly ministry. I don't know if that means I'm called to be a priest. Right. Um, It might just mean that I get to do all of those things as a as a happy lay person. Yeah. Like, because you're good at a thing doesn't mean you ought to do the thing. Yeah. Right. So. Where's God calling we're, you? To? We're well, and it's interesting to too because this is still a fairly new transition for you guys. Like, if you would have yeah. interviewed me 13 months into being Catholic versus interviewing me now, right? I'm a totally different person. Of course, you had already had a lot of <laughs> a lot of growth in the faith that I did not have 13 months in. But it'd be interesting to like continue this conversation down yeah. the road and like where God's going to take you and your family. It's exciting. Yeah. Well, I I uh, all of this is going to make a lot more sense in a few years and I'm going to be like, Ryan, why didn't you realize that at the time? Right. (laughs) Um, hindsight being what it is. Um, God's growing something right now. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, we, I think I've said something like this a couple of times. If, if the Lord really wants me to do that, he's just going to have to make it as obvious as he, Mm -hmm. I, I feel like God, um, talks to me very loudly. Um, and then there's long periods of silence. Mm -hmm. So just like, Nothing from him for years and years, and then something in from a megaphone, you know. Wow. Um, so we'll see. We'll wait and yeah. see. That's awesome. That is okay. Awesome. Well, speaking of God speaking yeah. to us. Yeah. Megan? Don't ask me. I'm going first. <laughs> I told you earlier, I don't know what God's doing, and I haven't figured it out yet. So y'all go first. <laughs> okay. Paper How about you? Try? We're going to do Kendra. Kendra. What is God doing in my heart? Yes. Well, this past weekend, we went to um, the mm. Unbound Conference, and... Yeah. It blew me out of the water. Just mm-hmm. this fast track that God is doing in my heart of um, what I feel is just this missing piece of ministry, of relationship, of community, of... Um, Can you explain what Unbound is? I will, yeah. Sorry. So it's it's a... Call it Unbound Ministries. It's a method of prayer of um, helping one 
either guide themselves or someone else through healing and deliverance and deliverance, not necessarily meaning this big, it needs to be on a movie type of mm-hmm. moment. Casting out it's demons. The, yeah, yeah. They, they share it so clearly and so beautifully of um, going from one kingdom to the next, right? Going from the kingdom of darkness saying, mm. I'm all done. Um, no more of this breaking out of your own little, little, little story, not in a demeaning way, but um, your own, Blinders of darkness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blinders in darkness and and um, saying I'm done with that and saying yes and moving into the kingdom of light and mm-hmm. into like allowing your story to be a part of his big story and um, and just giving you ling- ling- language and verbiage and it was just an so, action. Like there's an, an action, action to it. Yeah. yeah. So, so one of the things um, I, I don't know, I, I just, the thought of having a, sit down conversation with one person, me and them terrifies me, even if I know them, like I just have this pressure About to keep the what? conversation going and About I, anything, just, anything, just the, the pressure to have a conversation. And Girl, you have going. a podcast. I know you were the one that told me to be on the podcast. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you're great at that. I get terrified. Um, it stresses me out. But so the thought of now like prison ministry, for example, um, God just kind of pinged my heart with that years ago and my husband too, but that terrified me of the thought of going to sit down with someone that I do not know, um, and ministering to them. But this just gives me so much, um, it just equips me in such Mm -hmm. an incredible way of how to go about that and to help bring about God's kingdom in someone else's life. And in their heart, it's just so powerful. And giving them freedom. Yes. And giving them freedom. Um, I'm just all jazzed up and fired up about our event this Friday where it's called set free. Um, and, and that's just what the Lord has just been magnifying in my heart of what he has done for us and what we can help. Um, and the other piece, so for the longest time I had been struggling with, authority for Mm. what authority do I have to go and, um, speak into someone's life and, um, and lead them through that prayer and a lot of different pieces throughout scripture. But the thing that no pun intended sealed the deal for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so scriptures talk about, um, you know, God placing a seal over your heart, like you are his. Right. And so for the longest time, like back through college, I saw it as like open a jar and a tell and there's a seal and it's like, you know, <laughs> not you, you're unsealing. Right. Yeah. Right. And so Looking I over. have that seal on me. Right. But in reality, um, it's, you know, the melted wax and the seal that's specifically, um, designed for that person, like a King or, mm. um, whatever. And so he was your sharing identity. the story. Yeah. So he was sharing the story of, um, in Jewish culture, when the boy would become of age, the father would pass his seal along to him and he can go to the marketplace on behalf of his father and show the seal and, and make purchases and do all these different things. And, and that was just this aha moment for me of that's the seal that's on my heart Hmm. that, you know, it's, Hmm. it's God's, it's God's specific stamp on my heart over me that he, um, that I can now go forth and on behalf of him, proclaim. Mm-hmm. And it's just... It was a really cool moment because on Sunday at Mass, the Lord had put that question on Kendra's heart. Like, what is Sunday. it? Yeah, yeah the week before that. Like, yeah. what does it mean to have the seal? And she had it written in her little Every Sacred Sunday. Yeah. And so I was sitting next to her when he gave that talk, and she was like, <gasps> like almost fell out of her chair. <laughs> and I was like, what, are, what, are, what is happening? I don't understand. <laughs> like, that was a cool yeah. story, but I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just this moment of the Lord yeah. saying, like, I've been trying to tell you, you have authority. Yeah. Uh-huh. Take it. I'm very thick. Pick it up. Go. You have been called. Yeah. That's cool. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll go next. Now I've got things okay. to say. Okay. So, yeah, Unbound was life-changing for me too. Yeah. Um, it was really just part of a process of um, becoming healing prayer ministers. And it was part of our training and we were supposed to go to it. And I, you know, I'd heard it was cool, but I didn't really think it was going to be um, something that I was going to attach to. Just the idea of uh, deliverance ministry sounds scary to me. Yeah. But it feels like the missing piece that the entire world needs right now mm-hmm. to me. Like I feel like people need to be need to go through this process because there's so much that we carry, um, shame, sin, guilt, mm-hmm. unforgiveness. Like, so there's five keys in Unbound and it's, let's see if I get these right. You see if I can do it. Okay. Um, 
forgiveness. So asking for forgiveness or repentance. See, I already messed it up. Dang it. Repentance where we're asking for forgiveness of our own sins. And and they said a lot of times these are sins that you've already taken to confession, but you haven't allowed yourself to to, um, release. And then um, forgiveness. So forgiving other people in your life. And so many people are holding on to these hurts from childhood. And a lot of times we don't even know we're holding on to it. So it allows you to kind of like go back and remember certain situations that caused Pain. And, it, and it's not in an introspective way of going no. and digging. Yeah, it's, it's like whatever the Spirit's bringing to light. Allowing the Lord to let it bubble up. In yeah, time. the bubble up. I like yeah. that analogy. Um, and so basically you just kind of walk through all these and then then we reject the lies of that we've heard our whole lives. Mm-hmm. And, and, and at the very end, it's praying a blessing over the person. So getting mm-hmm. to like just be kind of the voice of the Father. Mm-hmm. to this person. And um, and that part's so cool because it's completely the Holy Spirit. Like there's no script, there's no nothing. It's just the Holy Spirit. And so Kendra and I got to be um, intercessors. We weren't the ones leading it this weekend, but I got to watch people walk in. And there was one lady in particular that I just saw the weight of the world lift mm-hmm. off her shoulders. And all of a sudden her shoulders were up high. And, and I had this um, word from the Lord that she was meant to carry a crown on her head. And 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 she was holding her head high, like to hold that crown. And I saw her the whole rest of the day with her head held high. Oh. It was this beautiful thing I've ever seen. So, anyways, it's just yeah, like the Lord is really stirring that in my heart right now that yeah. He wants to set people free, yeah. and and that's what our event is about on Friday night. It's funny because we when this comes out, we will have already had that, but right. we haven't had it yet. So we don't know what God's going to do on Friday. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Some of you listening were like, "Yeah, we've already been there. We've heard this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it <laughs> happened." Um, but yeah, I just, I, I feel like that's a big mission in our hearts right mm-hmm. now is to bring people to a place where the Lord can mm-hmm. set them free. It's yeah, exciting. Definitely. You don't have to say as much as we just said mm-hmm. for yours. <laughs> we got a little Sorry. deep there. We don't usually get that deep. That's great. That's great. So what's God doing in your heart? Uh, I, I, guess, um, I guess a willingness to uh, be poured into, I guess, for lack of a... So mm. and when you work in the church, you're always giving away spiritual goods and services yes. to other people. Um, mm-hmm. And it can be hard to know if or when you should get anything back yourself. Right. Uh, so I've been at this for a couple of years now, and so uh, we're we're just doing um, we're doing a lot of therapy, um, a, a lot of marriage counseling, a lot of individual therapy, and uh, spiritual direction. Yeah. So just allowing ourselves to um, other people to fill up the tank uh, yeah. for for us now is is great because uh, so you just you just spend so much time. In church ministry and the work of production, uh, so it can be helpful for um, other people to come alongside and be like, eh, "Did God really tell you that?" Or, you know, uh, is that really what you think or believe? And then mm-hmm. um, lead you in sort of spiritual uh, meditative exercise. Uh, so I thought a long time uh, about the difference between therapy and spiritual direction, and I think the the, the easiest, cleanest way to Describe the differences that um, spiritual direction is therapy with oughts. So your 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 therapist wants to know: Are you living in accordance with your values? Right? Mm-hmm. Is there a disjunction between who you think you are and how you behave? Uh, and, and spiritual direction is just sort of like, well, here's what God wants from you. Like, mm-hmm. let's see how you can fulfill that. Yeah. Um, so they're they're similar, but they have different aims. Right. Um, but both are great. Um, and I'm not a very introspective person, so it's it's great just to have. Um, somebody else doing some ex- some uh, examination of your of your soul there and then mm-hmm. trying to help direct you so it's not just uh, you and God and and the production value that you bring to the church yeah, so. yeah. yeah. I I feel that very deeply. I was at a parish for a long time where I gave a ton. And just recently when I moved to St. Albert the Great, it's been like I guess eight months I've been poured into since yeah, I moved. and I right. feel like I have run a spiritual marathon mm-hmm. in like the last four months mm-hmm. because it was just like that moment where God was like, all right, it's your turn. Like, yeah. Open up. I'm, <laughs> all of this is about to be poured yeah. into you. Yeah. And it's been so good. I think we kind of have to, we have to do that every once in a while. Got to yeah. open up our hearts and let the Lord pour into us. Cause otherwise ministry gets exhausting and you yeah. wear out. It's, and it's okay. Long. It's okay to be uh, a consumer. And there's a Eucharistic sense there, right? In which we're yeah. all consumers. Um, but it, but it's okay to, Take a back seat and not be in charge of something, yeah. and yeah. Uh, let somebody else um, talk to you and lead you in the ways of the Lord. So, that's yeah, a good, and receive. It's a good thing. Receive what yeah. He has for you. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, thank you so much. This was a very uh, 
Just wonderful conversation. It's a blast and a half. <laughs> so fun. Thank you. Yes. Thank you all for, for hey, having and me. And I think you might be going to watch rugby with my husband. Is that right? Weekend. Yeah. So say hi right. to Chad oh, for me. Yeah, yes. What's the name of the guild that we're that I've been in, I that have, I'm been roped into now? It was the longest I've ever heard in yeah. my life. It was like 12 words. I was like, y'all are going to need a shorter name because no one's ever gone to Yeah, yeah. Is it for rugby watchers? No, it's like it's, men who are <laughs> in the church but love their wives but don't want to be with their wives. I don't know. It was like it's like It's like the Catholic group for men who do wife-sanctioned activities activities in greater Austin or something like that. Okay. Um, so we so do need a much sanction. Can I sign my husband up too? Yes. I, sure. this work? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the rules. Well, this will be my first event. So. Yeah, that's so going to be fun. Uh, do some manly yeah. Io, Io got me into this and, uh, I said, sure, man. I, I, I've never been to a rugby match yeah. game soiree <laughs> before, but, uh, <laughs> it looks, it looks a lot like football without pads. So that should yeah. be a fun time. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Good. Well, enjoy. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us today. If you are new around here, I want to give you a little heads up of who we are. Kendra and I are part of a group in Austin called His Beloved of Texas. We put on worship and adoration nights, and we just had one, and it was beautiful and everything I could have possibly dreamed it would be. The Lord just showed up and women were healed. They experienced his love maybe for the first time in a long time. And it was such a joy to be a part of. So we have an Instagram and Facebook. We'd love for you to follow us. We'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast and rate or review us on whatever podcast app you use. Someone told me yesterday, when I listen to your podcast and I stop in the middle, it doesn't hold my spot. And I said, are you subscribed? And she said, what does that mean? (laughs) So make sure you subscribe to the podcast. It's just a little button that you can click and the podcast will automatically go to your phone with whatever app you use. If you're on Apple Podcasts, it's really easy. The app is already there. If you don't have an iPhone, you can just download a podcast app like Spotify or Podbean. All right, guys, thank you for your support, for your love. We just, every day we're like amazed that we get to do this. Thanks guys.